Welcome to the only podcast for piano teachers just starting out, Piano Teacher Primer. My name is Angela Toon. Keep listening for the prime pro tips you can use with your own students right away. Welcome, Leela Viss. So happy to have Leela on. I've been following her for years and I'm so excited to get to know her and hear her story of how she got started teaching. And I know she's going to have some great tips for you because she's not only a very experienced pianist and teacher, but also Leela. I'll read this little bio. Leela is a creative force in the world of piano education. I'd agree with that. She's known for her website, Key Ideas Podcast, Composium, we'll have to hear more details on that, and mm -hmm. Studio, where she inspires and equips music musicians of all levels to reach their full potential. Love that. Welcome. Well, thank, you. thank you, Angela, for having me. And I have to, I have to confess, I've been having a lot of fun with AI artificial intelligence. So I plugged in my super long bio that I have. And uh, that's what kicked out. Awesome. Funny. But I was like, well, I think that's that pretty much that sounds good. I'll keep with it. So oh, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> Isn't it funny? I know it's kind of scary how powerful that is. My husband and I were just talking about that last night. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah, here I am. And thank you for reading out yeah. on it for a while. He's been, like uh, every conversation that comes up and it keeps coming up. He's like, guess what I did on it yesterday. It's scary and it's exciting at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, as you know, I'm interested in the origin stories of the real pros out there. So I would love to hear how even Lee Levis got started teaching piano. You know, I do not go way back to when I was 14, I was already teaching piano. I did not think I would be a piano teacher, although my parents are both professors. So it is in my bloodline that I would be some kind of teacher. They but are I, piano professors? No, no. One is an art professor. They're both retired. One is an art professor and one is a math professor. So music just fits right in the middle there. And um, so I'm, I'm not surprised that I defaulted to teaching, but I graduated with a general music degree from college. I kind of broke all the rules because I did not know what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked music. And I went to Chicago for a semester and studied there, uh, worked for the Chicago, Chicago City Ballet and loved the business side of it. Uh, but then I found my husband of 30 some years and he moved to Denver. And so then we got married and then I moved there as well. And I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, you know what? Wow, I can get a degree in teaching piano. That sounds like fun, which I had never known. I lived under a rock, uh, a small little town in Iowa, and I could get a degree in mass or a master's degree in piano pedagogy and performance. And I never really liked performing. I have had some nerve gremlins and it, you know, at first it was good. And then I think, you, you know, you realize what you're up against and who you're playing for. And so I had a lot of anxiety back then, but of course that was never addressed. You just power through it. But I decided, yes, I'm going to do this performance and pedagogy degree. And then I graduated and I just noticed how much I was not excited about it anymore. I think, you know, that happens when you follow your passion and make it your business, so to speak, and study in it so long. Um, I was really worn out with classical music. I was tired of listening to that, but I felt like that's what I had to do. 
So, uh, and then there was this one earth shattering moment where someone handed me a chord chart at our church and said, Hey, Leela, can you play for us? Can you play with the band? And I looked at it and I was stumped. I had no idea what to do. I was so embarrassed. I really was shattered. I realized that they didn't need someone to play a memorized Scarlatti Sonata for them. They needed a musician that could play with the band. And so number one, how I started teaching was I teach out of reaction to how I've been taught. Now I have good teachers. I appreciate my classical training. It brought me good discipline, all of that kind of stuff. But I was not taught to be, I think, a whole musician, a well-rounded musician. And so that has been my philosophy and teaching for years and years and years from way back when. And then I noticed that, okay, we had three boys pretty quickly and I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? And do I really feel like teaching from three to seven, the bewitching hours, you know, when I'm tired because it's been a busy day and, uh, then, uh, you know, I don't know, I want to go to my kids. Uh, sports activities. How am I going to fit this all in? And then I, uh, I rethought things and I even considered, you know, maybe I just go work at a copy shop or a coffee shop or just do something different for a while. And then I read a book by Philip Johnston, which I had to write it down because I always, I always feel bad because I am not good at remembering the title. And because it's such a long one, but it's called The Dynamic Studio, How to Keep Students, Dazzle Parents, and Build the Studio Everyone Wants to Get Into. It's a really long title. But I read that and thought, you know what? If I make this fun, I will enjoy teaching from three to seven. And so I felt like that was a light bulb moment. And I don't remember exactly when, but it really changed how I approach teaching lessons. And I decided that this was my thing that I was going to have fun with. And I was going to bring students in and show them that music can be fun. And when I had that mind shift, it it really helped me uh, propel my teaching into a new level of, oh, I, I don't know, I would say just well-roundedness, you know, instead of thinking I had to just teach classical and and realized that I could do other things. And this was during the days when there wasn't Pinterest, there wasn't internet, there was like, I guess I'll just do this, you know? So I look back and think, wow, that was a pretty brave decision. And I haven't looked back ever since, but uh, I think that is kind of a long answer to your question about where I started. I love it so much. And you started your studio with this whole musician approach in mind. Uh, give us a little more detail of what that looks like in the lessons for you right now. Um, you said not just classical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it, that didn't come to me right away that I should be teaching off page and teach creativity because I had to seek that out myself. I remember starting composing myself. I'm like, wow, this is really fun. And once I got into it, I felt more confident to pass that along to my students. Um, but one thing that set my studio apart immediately was the fact that I offered, well, back then I called it lab time. I'm, I'm not talking about a, da a dog. I'm talking about off bench time where students uh, learn things away from the piano bench and not with me. And the reason why I started this was because I, during my master's degree, I had to go visit teachers in the area and two of them were doing just that. And I just thought it was so cool. Now, this was back in the day where 
uh, we're talking a blank screen and then a little cursor bl blinking, you know, and then you put the floppy disk in, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's where I started. And uh, so that always set my Anybody apart. that's younger than, yeah. uh, <laughs> younger than 25, we might need to I know. have a little vocabulary on what right. floppy, I know. floppy disk, disk is not really floppy. It's just this hard thing that you put in the computer and then it spins and spins and you cross your fingers hoping it works. Um, and then it went, it changed to CD-ROMs. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But that helped me always integrate fresh things into my studio because I had to think about, oh, what, what am I going to do during off bench time? Is now what I call it. Uh, so that helped me. And then I noticed so that every student has some off oh, yes. bench time with their lesson time. Correct. So two students come, usually this is what happens, especially with beginners. I have at least two students come together for an hour. And right now I've got two. And a lot of times we do things together because they're at the same level. We'll do some introductory things, some new concepts together, and then we'll branch off. I'll spend time on the bench with one and the other one is doing some kind of off bench activity, usually on the iPad. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's geared towards, you know, their level reviewing concepts that, you know, I could spend a lot of time reviewing with games. I, I like games, um, but I'm not a fan of uh, what printing, laminating, a lot of things. And so the using apps instead has really been my ticket to having, giving students that time for reinforcement without having to spend a lot of lesson time to do that. Yes. And a, a lot of them, the students can have their own login and it keeps their progress and you can really yes. track things that way too. Yes. And for these beginners, uh, I've really come to love Sprout Beat. Now I have, um, okay. it's Sprout Beat has been around for a long, long time. And uh, I remember during the pandemic, I canceled a whole bunch of subscriptions because uh, my studio changed. It, I now own a hybrid studio, which is very nice. I'm, you know, never did before. And now I do, but I had to just figure out a lot of things and then uh, I came back to Sprout Beat and I'm really loving it because of all the games and worksheets provided in there uh, that cater to just about every level imaginable. I've got my advanced students working on seventh chords while my young littles are, you know, looking for what directional reading or is that a line or a space note? So it really covers the gamut, which I, I really like. That is so fun. And it, there's an energy of having more than one student there. I've been doing a lot of ensembles this spring and some multi-piano things. It's got my keyboard mm -hmm. out and, and it's electrifying when there's, when there's more people and it's really makes it. Fun. I totally agree because my older students usually come for an hour, 45 minutes with me and then 15 minutes off the bench. And sometimes it's an hour with me, just depending on what we need to spend time on. And I love that time with them. And I do think that spending one-on-one -on -one with students who are working on advanced repertoire is really the way to go. Even though I think ensemble playing is important, all that kind of stuff, but the energy level is different. It mm -hmm. really is. And if that student is quiet, it's a quiet lesson, even though, you know, I'm bringing the energy. So I, I do love more than one. And it's so wonderful for parents because if they've got two taking piano lessons, they can drop both off for the hour and here in Denver, it's really impossible to get an errand run in 30 minutes. It's just not going to happen. So uh, it, I, I have had no problem with parents being on board with this as well. Oh, it sounds like a win-win all around. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. love it. I've, I've thought about doing something similar. Some people call them buddy lessons. Yes. 
Yeah. So beginning mm-hmm. teachers, if you're looking for something creative and different, check out buddy lessons. That's a really good mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. And then, and then during this time, where did you start kind of with your other creative projects, your website and your, you know, well, I was going to, yes, I was going to say that I, I started attracting students who were outside of the box mm-hmm. and, and I've had two of them no more than two but I remember two distinctly that the parents said you know the other teachers didn't know what to do with them <laughs> and I thought that was fascinating and yet I I l- jumped into their creative side and like oh man this is going to be fun and so I think because I had that creativity stirring up in me and knew and I knew I wanted to what bring that to fruition in myself it was really fun to help students do that as well and so I grew up up right along with them. And so I think there's a lesson there of, you know, uh, not being afraid of a student who has probably more capabilities than you when it comes to being creative, because that doesn't mean that they don't need you. It means that they need guidance and boundaries and all that kind of stuff. And so that's what I had fun setting up. So, okay. Now back to your question. What was your question? Sorry. Yeah. Just, I want to hear on here. Cause I know you have a lot of creative projects. Your website oh. is beautiful and there's so much, re- so many resources on there. I just want to hear kind of, I'm, I'm assuming they kind of grew out of your teaching and they did, you know, I, I, I wrote a book back in 2012. It was published in 2000, 2013 called the iPad piano studio. And, uh, Basically, it was all about the apps that I was using. And what jumpstarted that book was the fact that, you know, I was doing this off bench time. And like I said, I had these big, huge, massive computers with CD-ROMs and they would spin and get stuck. And then suddenly I got this iPad and I pushed this tap on this icon and suddenly a game would appear and it was, it revolutionized my teaching. And so it, it triggered a book. And that book kind of got me on the map. It actually was distributed by Alfred Music Publishing. Uh, It's a technology book. So technology books do have a shelf life, but that also got me blogging. I started blogging about what are my favorite apps, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so setting up a blog and writing about things naturally makes you fall into, well, maybe I should generate some content that people might what like and dear colleague Wendy Stevens had nudged me long 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 ago and she, ago and she said you know Leela if you have a store you are going to be motivated to put things in that store and that's absolutely correct is that started driving me to generate content and so now what you see there are you know years and years and years of things uh, and usually I don't necessarily cater to the typical teacher needs, because there's a lot of good things out there. I try and fill in gaps where I see things that are missing. And so that's what you'll find. Uh, For example, like I have a 321 challenge, which is all about taking three boundaries, like a key, a core progression and a pattern. And um, the two stands for playing around within those boundaries for two minutes, one time every day. And basically what that is, is it gives students core progressions to be creative with, because I think harmony is not something that comes naturally to our students. They don't know how chords fit together all that well, but if they borrow somebody else's cool chord progression, 
they can start sounding good right away. And so that's what brought about that product, you know, so it's, it's not something that maybe you're going to start off with right away, but once your students know a little bit about chords, it can be a great gateway into them discovering their creativity because it sounds good. Totally agree. That is so true. And the chords are just the basis for creating, arranging, composing. Speaking of which, tell me about this composium. I love that name. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, that was a brainchild of mine on a walk in July. (laughs) I think it was July, 2020, maybe. And my mother, like I said, is a retired art professor and she specializes in quilts. And we're not talking about quilts on a bed. We're talking about textile artist. She's has things in national galleries, won numerous awards. So we're always talking about, and she's a teacher too. So we're always talking about teaching creativity and she does a lot of workshops yet herself. And um, it come to find out quilting and piano are, are very similar in some ways because uh, quilters like to follow rules and like to follow patterns, just like musicians like to follow the music of someone else. And so to get someone to be creative outside of those patterns is a little scary. So that's what the composium does is it nudges people into their creativity. A lot of people fear their own creativity, which is a really weird thing if you think about it, but they're scared because they're used to only playing what's been written on the page. So The premise is just like in quilting, my mother goes to workshops where everyone has their sewing machine and they're looking over each other's shoulders to see what they're doing. The composium is where teachers come together. We we meet on Zoom and they compose eight bars at a time, one little block or section at a time. And then every week we check out what they're doing and we see how they're feeling about it. And then they listen to me coach others in how to help them find what they really want to do. A lot of times like, okay, I like this part, but I don't know about this chord right here or whatever. And um, I seem to have a knack for helping people. You know what, what if you try this? Or what if you do this? Would this help? And what it is, it's a lot of them making decisions. I give them options and then they make decisions. So that's a long answer to what a composium is. A composium is where I help apprehensive teachers uh, who know they want to get creative, but are fearful of their creativity and embrace it. And in four short weeks, there's results. They, most of them have a composition, a section A, section B, They go back to a section A. Many of them have a bridge. Many of them have modulated. They have an intro and an outro. It's all notated. They create cover art in Canva. They notate it in NoteFlight. And then I encourage them to make videos of themselves playing it. Some people have even sold their pieces now on NoteFlight in the marketplace. So it's definitely a place where I'm equipping teachers But what happens is that trickles down to their students. And I'm hoping that then they, like me, aren't afraid of those students who are, what, creative beyond their years and can, you know, feel empowered to help them instead. That is amazing. That sounds so fun. That sounds so fun. I'm having a blast. 
It's, it's oh. my wheelhouse. I, I finally think I figured it out. This is what I like to do. <laughs> and you know, it takes a long time to figure that out. And I still like piano teaching. I, I, I like all those things, but you know, as you do it over and over again, you, you seem to know what you like, but also I, I know what I'm good at and I've gotten good enough feedback from people that they say, yes. Okay. Thank you. This was helpful. Um, and I, th I, I think the one thing about the composium that is, there's a couple things that set it apart, but one of them being, I make it very clear that we offer feed forward and not feedback, meaning feed forward. We're not trying to fix the past. We are trying to improve and work on the future. Mm. And we're very careful about how we give feedback. It has to be nurturing. It has to be, uh, in a, in a nature of voice and choice versus command and control. And I think all of those transfer to being a teacher to beginners as well. You know, the more that someone feels like they're in control of what's happening at a piano lesson, the more they're going to come back for more. Yes. And if we can unlock that creativity somehow, and there's many ways to do that, that mm -hmm. we can unlock it in ourselves, like you say, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. we'll unlock it for the students. Yes, they'll be engaged, they'll be excited, they'll be creating. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so exciting. I love that. And I'm also curious, you have like a how to play piano in a band. I've seen that. Well, thank you for asking. And I would say most of my most of my content is created out of reaction to things that have happened in my life, too. <laughs> uh, so that one is huh? just that. Because I have played, I'm a longtime church musician, and I was hired to play for the traditional service where they want organ, they want me to accompany the choir, I play with orchestras, so they want that type of musician, which is great. But this church has also always had two services, one traditional, one contemporary. And for a long time, I was never invited to play in the contemporary, you know, I just wasn't involved in it at all. And then... Um, I started thinking, God, I really would like to do that. And then we got a new leader who uh, was crossing over and uh, conducting the choir, but also the band as well. He was a longtime worship leader. So we made fast friends and, you know, he taught me a lot of things because I said, I kind of know what I'm doing, but can you tell me, is this really right? And so together we created that course, which... Again, empowered me to help my students so that they feel confident. And now my students are playing in church bands regularly, you know, and maybe they're not perfect, but they know how to do it and what to do. It's really not rocket science. It's more of just do this. And then when you're ready, expand to this and then, ooh, try this, you know. And um, so I've been so thankful for that opportunity to offer that course. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I dabble and I play in a couple of groups and it is, it's exciting and it's, mm -hmm. and it's fun and something different, but it's humbling to be at the piano and not know what you're doing. But then that kind of fueled me too. I took a jazz course for piano teachers a long time ago and mm -hmm. loved that. And, and it's changed my teaching ever since. Mm -hmm. And I make sure to teach my students chords early on all the way through so that if they want to go into any, you know, I've had students join their high school jazz bands or different things. And it, it's so good to have that foundation so that it leads them to wherever they want to go. Well, let's mm -hmm. lead into your top three tips for oh, beginning yes. piano teachers, the prime pro tips from the piano teacher primer podcast. Oof. 
Yes. I, I know I had to uh, take a look at them because you asked me a while ago and I'm like, Ooh, what were those? Because uh, on a given day, those three top tips could change. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And if you, if inspiration strikes, go for it. So do you want me to read my first one? Yeah. Okay. So very first one is teach by rote early and often, then share the signs and symbols on the sheet music, and eventually connections will be made. I think that comes from my history of, I wrote a thesis on Lynn Freeman Olson, and he was one of the authors of a piano method book with Marvin Book and Staff. Uh, now the name is escaping me, but anyway, he... Uh, his philosophy trickles from Francis Clark. So it's, you know, very well grounded. And it's always about listening first, you know, the symbol comes later, all that kind of stuff. And so I've always done that. But I didn't really realize that really what I was doing is teaching a lot by rote first, meaning here, copy this, follow this, what am I doing here? Or experiencing it in the body first, then trying to play it and then show them the score. And what that does is it just helps the student what immerse themselves in it first without having to read it first. And I feel like, you know, I was taught where here you read this, this is middle C. Ooh, now you get to learn about D. And if you have students that are just learning C and D, they're not going to stick around long. But if they can play a piece that is all over the piano, they sound beautiful, they're using the pedal, it's just going to be so much more fun. And for a while, uh, the sheet music is a blueprint more than anything else. It's not, I, I don't ask them to look for details, I, I, depending on the piece that they're working on. And then if we are working on reading, yes, then we're going to look for all the details. Is that a line or a space? All those kind of things. So I guess I zoom in and out the big picture, small picture and keep it balanced that way. Oh, I so agree. And I think any method that you're using, you can incorporate some rote teaching. You can, yeah. and then I find that, yeah, they have like some reading pieces and then they also have some that are rote. So they have the, yeah. the outlet to sound really good and that I can show them some things. And then it's, I think you can include rote teaching, even if you don't do it like fully or something. And in fact, I have a, I have a free video of some rote pieces that my high school teacher taught me how to teach. Oh, nice. Okay. And, and there's these two rote pieces that I teach my beginners. And it's like you say, it's all over the piano. It's really fun for kids. So that's, mm -hmm. um, that's, and that goes right along with that. I think what I like about that too, is, you know, how some people are so afraid of playing by ear and rote teaching is really playing by ear in a lot of ways, even though they are copying us, they still have to hear it and remember it. And so I will do that with a number or, you know, any age of student in any level here, play this. Can you play this first? And they don't even realize that they're testing their ear, but I love how they hunt and peck for the right, the right notes. And that gives them that experience and the confidence to keep playing by ear, which we all wish we had experience of, or at least I do, because I didn't, you know, that was something that I wasn't trained to do. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us in traditional piano lessons where our creativity was kind of squashed, stop thinking around and practice your pieces. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and I have some Sorry. students that I, I would like to say, can you stop thinking around and please practice? But you know, like, oh, okay. Uh, and that's the thing, you know, you have around right to, after. 
Exactly. Yes. And actually then let's go there that my other teaching, one of my teaching tips is practice practicing in every lesson and give names to strategies. And this equips students with skills to diagnose and prescribe practice strategies themselves. I cannot say enough about this one because I have seen my students grow up in my studio and they'll say, Oh, you know what? I need Lincoln chain here. Or no, I got to do backwards practice. Like they self-diagnose what they need. I don't have to do that anymore. And it's because we did a lot of it in the lesson. I named it. We did it again. Okay. Let's do it again. You know, it, um, it's not a waste of time in a lesson to practice because if they already know the piece before they leave the lesson, they're going to go home and practice. And that's really what you want to do is just establish the habit of getting to the piano. The practice and the meaningful practice will come, but maybe not right away, but it will come if they start establishing that habit of playing their pieces between lessons. hundred percent. We need to show them how Yes. Not just go practice. Need mm -hmm. to show them how to practice in yeah. every lesson, a little bit in every lesson. Yeah. And I love, it sounds like you've got some little names to the strategies. That's so fun. Cause then they can, their brain can grab it. And then they can diagnose, like you say, and then they know what they need at home based on the example that you've provided in the lesson. That's and good. kind of kind of tying in with my third tip is I, I love concrete tools. So my Lincoln chain practice is, okay, when they're working on something hard, especially if they're working on something hands together, you know how you learn hands alone, but yes, you got to put hands together and it, it can be so painstakingly slow. So I, we make it slow. I, we put post-its on either side of the measure that they're working on, or at least part of the measure sometimes. And then they play it and they have to play it three times and third time. Perfect. Okay. And then they earn one paper clip and I got jumbo paper clips. So it's okay. fine. And then they learn the next measure, play it three times. Yep. We got that. So they get another paper clip and then, um, then they play them together. And if they can play them together without mistakes, then they link the, uh, paper clips together. So it's link and chain practice is what I call Oh, that's it. so cute. I'm writing this yeah. down. <laughs> I have a whole, chain. I have a whole freebie on uh, practice strategies that has all of these listed. Oh, I'm going to check that out. For okay. Sure. Yeah. I'll send it. I'm your going to check that out for sure. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, I forgot what I was. Oh yeah. I, I'm obsessed with post-it notes. Okay. Yeah, I know. And I haven't used it in that way. That's so good. Oh, no. Cause I, I call them blinders. And I think I got this I from Philip Johnston as well as, you know, it's just like when someone's having surgery, right? You isolate the, mm -hmm. so, and their eyes cannot focus on anything else except what's there in front of them. And even though it can be really slow for us, we just have to, uh, we have to be patient with them. I also think it helps them track because now they're seeing, okay, beat one. Oh yes. Both hands play beat two. Oh, left hand doesn't play. You know, those kind of things. That's an important skill. We often think of horizontal reading, but they are also reading vertically at the same time. Oh my goodness. That's so good. And then did you say you're Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. My third, my third right into it. Yes. Choose one new teaching tool, a creative assignment or an off bench movement to spice up lessons each week. This will keep students curious and coming back for more. So what I mean by that is, yeah, sometimes I'll just have a theme, you know, we're all going to use link and chain practice this week. You know, like, like, Oh, well, what's that? Some of my students have used it before they know what it is, but, um, I, I never remember who I use it where sometimes, you know, and sometimes I know I need to use 
a certain practice strategy with, with one person. But anyway, it's fun to have a theme. Like this week, I have a little tissue box and I've got little foam letters in there and they pull it out and they have to tell me the root, the third and the fifth of that triad. Um, actually, what I've been doing, I've been bribing my students this past month and I want them to play the five finger patterns all the way around the circle of keys for my younger ones, play major and minor. Some of them are just doing one hand. And then my older students are playing that all the scales around the circle of keys. They have to know the fingering, which I have the fingering rules so they can figure everything out. Uh, and if they pass with and play around the circle with one error, I have a little grace for them. Then they get a box of candy of their choice. So I have gone to the store. I have all this candy and they're slowly earning their boxes. So yes, I'm not above bribery. In fact, I've been... <laughs> blown away how well this has worked and they've all been so nervous like okay here I go you know and they've just it's really I'm so thankful that I did it because five finger patterns are the gateway to chords and you know I just feel like okay let's get these five finger patterns learned so that we can just move forward so I get a little impatient and then bribes come out <laughs> <laughs> they love it they're yeah, like oh, right. I know yeah. can get her okay. to get impatient again exactly yeah uh-huh so I think I'll be having more of those because that definitely did work oh my goodness Oh, and then that fun challenge. What a fun energy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And they put the pressure on themselves. You know, it wasn't me, but the candy was definitely, and it's, it's all up there. Their box is waiting for them. So. Oh, how do you come up with this? Oh my goodness. That is so creative. Yeah. I don't know. I think sometimes it's out of desperation. Like, oh, what am I going to do? And it's mostly because it's, there's a gap in a learning or yes, you're right. I'm getting impatient. Like, can we just get through this? <laughs> Because I want to move on to more fun things, which, you know, I, not that five finger patterns aren't fun, but um, I feel like they need to know them and then they can get creative with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. Well, I just, I took tons of notes on this oh. one today. <laughs> Thank fun. you so much for all that you shared and, oh, and tell us where, tell us your website and your Instagram and your podcast. I mentioned it, but. Oh, yes. So I, you can find me at leelavis.com and that's where you'll find the podcast key ideas. The show notes are all there. And I uh, have an Instagram. I think I'm just at leelavis and mm -hmm. leela, L-E-I-L-A. And then the oh, last name, good. yes, is this, V as in Victor, I-S-S -S as in Sam. I have to say that all the time over the phone because no one uh -huh. can spell it. And then, yeah, I've got a, a Facebook page. I think it's called 88 Piano Keys. So I'm there hanging out. I love up. it. I love it. Everyone go find Leela and you'll find some amazing resources and articles and content and your podcast is brilliant too. So thank you so much for, for coming online. I so appreciate you hanging out with me this morning and I loved hearing your story. Well, thank you, Angela. And all the best to you. I love this idea for teachers who are starting out beginning teachers, not just beginning students, but beginning teachers. Yeah. It's and important. it's just because I was, I was overwhelmed and I was just starting out and it was like too much information. So I'm hoping this would be a good place for people to come and find just what they yeah. need. Interesting. Cause I was at a place where there was not enough information. Yeah. So yeah. Hmm. yeah. Times change, don't they? <laughs> Thanks Leela. Thank you.
Are you having as much fun with this podcast as I am? Are you getting some actionable tips? Help more beginning piano teachers find us by leaving a rating and a review. On Apple, you just scroll down to the bottom and click on the stars. And on Spotify, you click the three dots near the top and click rate show. Also visit AngelaToon.com for free videos, downloads, courses. Together, we'll change the world one student at a time.